are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I grew up in an awesome Christian home. I felt loved. I felt safe. And every week, many times through the week, my parents would take me to church. So I, I grew up knowing all about Jesus. And when I was eight years old, I remember going to my parents' room one night and asking them to pray with me that I might be forgiven of my sins. Somewhere along my way in high school, I got off track a bit. And in living my life I was living, uh, I wasn't happy. I, I was concerned about myself. I felt like I was on a path that was going to take me somewhere I did not want to go. And, and I began to be pretty miserable. I thought a lot about turning back to Jesus. And I've tried to kind of have this conversation in my mind. Why did I do that? Now, I can't speak for you or for other people, but I think some of our stories are the same. The reason I turned back to Jesus was because I believed that Jesus could make my life better. That's what I believed. I became convinced that if I would turn around, follow Jesus, that Jesus would make my life better. So one of my favorite preachers always says this. He says, following Jesus makes life better and it makes you better at life. Following Jesus makes life better and it makes you better at life. I believe that. I embrace that. So um, I'm not saying that, that I had not also embraced some powerful truths like I believed that Jesus was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and I believed that He deserved my full devotion, my whole life's devotion. But that's what, not where I was. I, honestly, I felt like my life was in trouble, and I believed that Jesus could make my life better. In fact, I believe that many people choose to follow Jesus because they believe He can make their lives better. Now, I don't know what your story is. It may be like mine. It may be different. But... I think you've got to answer a question this morning, and I think it's significant that you do it kind of early on in the sermon. Why did you choose to follow Jesus? You might be saying, Rick, you're assuming everybody in here has. Okay, maybe everybody hasn't, but if you're contemplating following Jesus, what is the strongest argument for you to begin doing so? I think there's many people would say, the reason I began to follow Jesus was because... I began to believe that Jesus could make my life better. And I think that others are saying, I think if I began following Jesus, that my life could be better as well. We often talk about who killed Jesus. So if I just ask you, hey, who killed Jesus? What would your answer be? The Jews. That's what I hear. And, and that's true. We talk about the fact, hey, you know, the Jews killed Jesus, right? What we don't often say well is that the Jews are the ones who first followed Jesus. You realize that all of the disciples were Jews, right? Uh, the people who first began following Jesus were the Jews. And so the Jews began to follow Jesus because they believed that He was the Messiah, God's holy anointed one. And they believed that He would be a king who would fulfill their longings and their dreams of living in peace. So do you understand what I'm saying? The Jews who followed Jesus believed that Jesus could make their lives better. 
They followed Jesus because they believed that Jesus would bring peace to their lives. And it's not that they didn't believe He was the Messiah, or not that they didn't believe He he deserved the devotion. They believed He could make their lives better. Now, as you followed Jesus for years, you may have a very different answer to that question. If I say to you today, why do you continue to follow Jesus? You would probably say, because He is the Son of God. And because He deserves my full devotion. But when I first started following Jesus, I did so because I believed Jesus could make my life better. Okay? So we're going to take that into this story that we're going to share from the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. You might want to grab your phone or your Bible or you might want to read along with me on the screen here. So here we go. So Jesus has been in Jericho with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And then he tells them this parable and then we get to this point. After Jesus had said this, meaning the parable about stewardship, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, if you go from Jerusalem to Jericho, typographically you are climbing, 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 climbing all the way through barren desert, climbing, climbing, climbing. It is a very difficult, steep climb. Going up to Jerusalem, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, So go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Here's what you're going to say. The Lord needs it. And so those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. Now, in in Jesus' day, if you were a dignitary, you could procure the property of someone if you needed it. And, uh, And rabbis were extended that same right. And so for them to say, My teacher needs it, it was not unusual. So they they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks. You remember in Jesus' day, people would wear basically two garments. One was a tunic, and that was more like a long t-shirt maybe that came closer to your body, not quite out of that material. But then the other was a cloak that went over the tunic. So they take their cloaks off and they throw it on the back of the colt, the donkey, and they put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road, okay? I mean, this is showing extreme honor to somebody. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Look at these words. For all the miracles they had seen. The miracles were evidence that Jesus was more than a man. They begin to sing from Psalm 118. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And by singing those words, they were basically affirming that Jesus was a king sent from God. Okay? Some of the Pharisees weren't happy about it. In the crowd, they said to Jesus, Teacher, you should rebuke your disciples. And here's what Jesus said. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, read the next two words with me. He wept. What? 
I mean, get the picture in your mind, okay? This is like awesome. This is a parade. Uh, people are saying all kinds of incredible things about Jesus, even some that Luke doesn't record. They're saying, blessed is he who comes, the son of David, Hosanna. I mean, other gospel writers say they're waving palm branches. They're taking off their cloaks and laying them on the ground. I mean, this is huge, right? And it's all about you, Jesus. But he starts crying. He wept over it, meaning the city of Jerusalem. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Because, see, that's what they were hoping. Somebody who would make their life better, right? If you only knew, he says, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. He's talking to the city of Jerusalem. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. God came to your city today and you didn't know it. God showed up in your town today and you had no idea. So, I thought maybe a picture might kind of help a little bit and uh, maybe give you an idea. As you travel from Jericho to Jerusalem, you're traveling uphill, uphill, uphill. Finally, you crest just past Bethany and Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. This would be a painting rendition because nobody had a camera when Jesus was on earth. And so this would be like starting down the Mount of Olives. And what you can see two miles away, setting on its own smaller hill, past the valley, glistening in the sun perhaps, the holy city of God, Jerusalem. And so it's as they start down this hill... This is the sight they see. And they're on the way to Passover. And it is like a parade. And they're taking their cloaks off and laying them on the ground. And they're saying all kinds of incredible things. Proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's what we call Palm Sunday. So, I come in the room this morning and I stand up and I say to you. That I begin following Jesus because... I believed Jesus could make my life better. Let me ask you a question. What, what do you do when you choose to follow Jesus and then come to understand that His plans to make your life better are not what you had in mind? All right? So you may be like me and you may say, Rick, the reason I began to follow Jesus was because I too believed that my life could be better. I wanted the best possible life. It's not that I didn't believe He was the Son of God. It's not that I didn't believe He deserved my full devotion. But, but along with that was this idea that He could make my life better, okay? And I followed because I believed He could. But what do you do when you choose to follow Jesus and then come to understand that His plans to make your life better are not really what you had in mind? So, so what do you mean by that? Well, it's like I come to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I, I want you to make my life better, right? I mean, I want to be, I don't know... Is it okay to say it? I want to be great someday. 
And Jesus says, I want you to be great. And so here's how we're going to make you great. From now on, you become the servant to everybody else. And you just live your whole life just serving others. You just put others in front of yourself. And you don't let them serve you. No, you serve them. That's the path to greatness. See, that's not what I had in mind. Or I come to Jesus saying, Jesus, I want you to make my life better. Is, is it okay for me just to ask for, you know, more cash? <laughs> I mean, is that okay? I would love to have more cash. I'd like to have more money. Make life, you know, better. And Jesus says, let's talk about giving you some more money. If I give you more money, will you become extremely generous? Will you just give money away like crazy? That's not really what I had in mind. Jesus, I come to you because I want my life to be better. I want peace, okay? I'm sick and tired of this society and the turmoil. I want peace. And Jesus says, okay, we've got a plan for that. I want you to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And I want you to love your neighbor like I love you. Like I laid down my life for you. It's not exactly what I had in mind. When, uh, when Annette and I lived in Cincinnati... We did, uh, that church had done for years before we got there and continued after we got there to do a, an Easter play. And so this time of the year, you would just be knee deep in it and there were like 10 performances and it grew over the years for like 30 years. And finally, there were just live animals all over the sanctuary, you know, after intermission uh, as part of the play. And I would get up and I would make this announcement and I would say, Hey, we're going to take a 20-minute intermission, and then when you come back into the room, there will be live animals in the room. You're welcome to pet them. And, uh, in fact, they'll bring them to your seats where you can pet them, but there will be a donkey in the aisle. Jesus will ride in on the donkey, and then they'll take the donkey back out. Please don't gouge the donkey. Don't poke the donkey. Don't make the donkey mad. The donkey is temperamental. The donkey kicks, okay? So please, just stay away from the donkey, and life will be good. What, what is this thing with the donkey? What, why did we ever bring donkeys into the church? What, why did Jesus ride a donkey? What, what is it all about, the whole donkey thing? Let me just tell you something. It's huge. It's bigger than you can imagine. It's a statement that we will never fully comprehend or be able to emulate about the life of Jesus. So it comes from Zechariah 9.9. And the prophet says, O Israel, here comes your king. It's a prophecy about this coming king, the Messiah. And it says, your king will be riding a donkey's colt, humble and lowly. Now, when you think about Roman emperors proceeding into a town... They didn't ride donkeys, white horses, big-time chariots. And you can't imagine the statement that's being made about what kind of a king Jesus will be. I've always thought how interesting it would be if, you know, you, you, you went to see, like, the president who was coming through town, 
and, uh, and the motorcade's coming by, and, and you're out there, and you're trying to see, and you got your phone, you want to take a picture. You've never seen a president of the United States before. And so, you know, there's the long, big black Suburbans with the flags on each corner, and policemen on motorcycles riding along in perfect, you know, harmony, and they're all in sync. And you keep saying, where's the president? Where's the president? Which car is his? And finally, somebody says, that's him right there in that Ford Focus. Compact, you know? You mean the guy with his knees under his chin? That's him. That's, that's the president. I mean, you would say, presidents don't ride in compact cars. And kings did not ride on donkeys. You see, Israel was saying, we want a great political leader who is going to defeat the Roman oppression in our lives and make our lives better. But Jesus knew that your life is not going to get better until your heart gets better. And for life to get better, there has to be a change of heart. Right? And it's something we've learned. We just forget joy, joy, deep joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. All right, you remember me telling you that I had a friend over one day and he had a book laying on my kitchen table. And I said to him, is that a good book? And he says to me, I don't know, I haven't read it. And then his phone rings and he's on the phone 20 minutes and I'm picking up the book and for 20 minutes I'm in the book. And I'm, I read a sentence that I will never forget. And it just, it rolls off my tongue. Here's what the author said. We've given people just enough Jesus to be bored. We've given people just enough Jesus to be bored, but not enough, but not enough to feel the holy surge of adrenaline that courses through your veins when you decide that you are going to follow Jesus, no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. We've given people enough Jesus to be bored, but not enough to feel that holy surge adrenaline that courses through your veins when you decide that you're going to follow Jesus, no matter what, no matter when, no matter where. See, when you come to this place that you say, I'm going to follow Jesus because I think Jesus can make my life better. But then you come to understand that His plans for making your life better are not the plans that you had in mind. Then you've got a couple of questions to answer. And here are the questions that you have to answer. Number one, who is Jesus? What do I really believe about Him? And will I follow Him no matter what, no matter where, no matter when? Am I in it for the parade or am I in it for the long haul? Am I just going to be showy or am I going to the cross? And when you think about who Jesus was, there were different opinions in that crowd that day. The disciples said, He is, he is God's sent King. It's evidenced by the miracles. How could you not believe? But the Pharisees said, those claims are exaggerated, Jesus. You should not accept them. In fact, you should rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says to them, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Creation knows more about what's happening here today than even you do. Am I following Jesus? Because I want Him to make my life better in the way that I think my life could be better. 
Or am I willing to follow Jesus to the cross? All right, we'll just chat for a bit. I think that would be best. So there's a guy that I met when I was in college. His name was Bob Benson. He died way too young. He was a lot of things. Among them, he was a writer and he was a speaker. So he would show up at uh, my college chapel on occasion and, and speak. And he was incredible with words. Anybody heard of Bob Benson over the years? Kind of a young crowd, but oh, a lot of you have. So somebody sent me just a picture of one of the stories in one of his books the other day. And it was good to read Bob Benson again. He tells a story about going to a college chapel to, uh, to speak. And he says, I'm always a little anxious when I do because um, there are just reservoirs of knowledge around any university. And, uh, and I want to make sure that I, I do well. And he says, so I, I go and I, uh, I'm not excited also. And what makes it kind of worse is that it's in my hometown of Nashville, Tennessee. He says, I don't know if you know this or not, but you don't really become an expert on anything unless you're at least 500 miles away from home. Then you're an expert on everything. So he says, I put on my best three-piece suit, pinstripe, navy blue, and I go and, and I give it my best and pray that God will speak through me. So he says, when I finish, um, there were a few students who wanted to talk about my talk. Uh, it wasn't like I was mobbed. I was never concerned for my safety because so many students were trying to press in around me. It wasn't like that. But there were a few students who wanted to talk about my talk. And as those students were standing there talking to me, uh, one of them just kind of looks at my chest and says, well, would you look at that? And he said, I looked down, and I had no idea that my vest was buttoned wrong. I started by putting the first button in the second hole and just carried through all the way down with no idea. And he said, I thought about it later and thought, wow, I can't imagine what some of those folks felt. Who is this guy they're bringing in? Why should we listen to him? He doesn't even know how to button his vest. But then Bob Benson did with words what only he could do with words. Here's what he said. It's not hard to button your vest up wrong. He said all you got to do is just put the first button in the second hole. He said then the rest of it is as easy as falling off a log. The rest goes on slick as a whistle. He said when you start wrong, ending wrong takes care of itself. When you start wrong, ending wrong, just takes care of itself. A conversation about ending wrong is a hard conversation, isn't it? Can you imagine living your whole life and say, this did not end well? And you look back and you realize the reason it didn't end well is because I started wrong. Way back there I made choices. 
Way back there, I chose a path. And I've been on that path the whole way. And I should have been smart enough to see that this is where it was going to end up, but I never stopped really to think about that. I just kind of liked the path I was on. When you start wrong, ending wrong just kind of takes care of itself. I mean, think about it for a minute with me. To live your whole life and to get to the end of your life and say, boy, this isn't good. This didn't go well at all. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because Jesus brings it up a lot. And He brings it up here. And this should be an awesome day, I would think, for Jesus, right? Everybody is saying, hey, you're the king, man. Hosanna. He's riding in on the donkey. Everybody is saying awesome things. It's like a parade, a celebration. It's all for you, Jesus. Wait, who's crying? Jesus is crying? Jesus, why are you crying? And he's crying for a city that's starting wrong. And when you start wrong, ending wrong just takes care of itself. And he says, the end is not good for you guys. And he's crying. Not one stone will be left on another. This place is going to be destroyed. And if you know your history of the Bible in A.D. 70, Titus of Rome comes in and he does exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. I mean, the place was destroyed. God came and you rejected him. Jesus, or this decision rather about following Jesus, carries great responsibility. I mean, it's your whole life. And if you want to know where the heart of Jesus is, let me go to that slide. Jesus, the reality of coming to judgment, brought Jesus pain. Now, now here's what I believe about you and me. If we're followers of Jesus, the reality of coming judgment should bring his followers pain too. So if you begin following Jesus and you say, honestly, Rick, I admit it was selfish reasons. I believed he could make my life better. But his idea of making my life better was different than I had in mind, but it's okay. And I decided that Jesus is the Son of God and that I'm going to follow him no matter where that leads me. And when I think about other people who don't know Jesus, it, it, it bothers me. I think there's another conversation. That conversation is, I haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, Rick Harvey. I don't think I've started right yet. I'm on a path, but I can see where the path goes. I don't know that the path is going to end up in a good place. And the truth is, today, you will make a choice again. What in the world are you going to do with Jesus? So let's, let's put some of our, our stuff into action this morning, okay? You received a card when you came in that looks like this. Would you be willing to find that and uh, get it in your hands and 
When I say, would you, by that I mean everybody. And if you don't have one, maybe we should have some ushers busting through the doors at this point with some extras. Uh, could that be a possibility? Um, thank you, guys back there. And, and if you don't have one, uh, raise your hand. Or if, if Maybe we're good. Anybody need one? We've got a few that need one down front here, so if you'll just come down and whoever else just wave these guys down, they'll get them to you. You notice on the card, it simply says something like this. Um, I, uh, I've been raised to this new life in Jesus, and I want everybody to be raised to this new life. We're going to be talking down here on the front too, guys. We're going to be talking the next few weeks starting Easter Sunday about raised to this life of hope. I mean, I know people who need hope, don't you? Raised to believe, raised to faith, and also raised to forgiveness. And so... On the front side, it just kind of says, what about a family member? Or what about a friend? Or what about a coworker? Or what about a neighbor? And they're just categories to help you think. So who do you know that needs Jesus? Who could you bring with you to Easter Sunday morning next week? Do you realize that Easter Sunday morning, people are more willing to visit your church with you than any other Sunday of all the Sundays of the year? And so here's what I want you to do. As we're singing this morning, I want you to be thinking about who you know, who God has already brought into your life. And so I want you to write the name on both cards, on both sides, okay? So I've got a friend and I wrote his name here and I wrote it here this morning. And then after you've written the names in, I want you to rip it in two. I want you to put one piece in your pocket to take home as a reminder for you. And you pray for them. And then I want you to get up, come down the aisle, lay the other card on the altar. And the commitment that we're making to you this morning is that the pastors of this church and the staff, we're going to take these cards and we're going to pray over them with you this week. As you pray and as you invite friends to come to church with you on Sunday. You may say, Rick, I don't have anybody in the world I could invite. Then turn the card over and there's a prayer. Lord, bring somebody into my life. Give me the ability to recognize them and the grace to open my arms to them. Just begin praying that prayer. As you pray that prayer, you'll be shocked at the people God will bring into your life. And so, I'm not asking you to hand your card to a friend and say, Hey, would you drop that off at the altar for me? No, this is your response. Even if as a couple you share the names, I would come down together. I don't want you to look around. Seriously. See empty seats near you? You know this room was built to hold 2,500 people on a Sunday morning? It's a lot of chairs. Everybody in here can bring somebody with you and we will have enough room. Wouldn't it be awesome if all of us did bring somebody with us? And everybody that came heard a sermon about hope. And so write on your card. And when you're ready, bring it down. Place it on the altar. We're going to gather them up. We're going to pray with you as you pray and as you invite. And I have dreams of next Sunday, Easter Sunday, 
being one of the greatest days we've ever known as a church. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.